0: Sorry, it took me a minute. I had to reboot my machine. It was going dog slow. That's right. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 31 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel we have Joe Eames. Hey everybody. Lucas Rubelke. I'll let you
1: boy. Ward Bell. yo, yo. Yo.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV. This week, we're going to be talking about directives, but more in depth. I think we're going to break somebody's brain, probably mine. (laughs) So there were some questions that we were talking about uh, the other day when we rescheduled this. Do you guys uh, remember exactly what they were? I know Lucas had one that he wanted to ask. Should we save that
1: for the last or just get right down to business?
2: Well, you have three, Lucas. I mean, we could just go through your three questions, and that could be like probably the whole show. All right, so I'm going to play. Let's go through them in like number one first, then number three, and then finally number two
1: last. All right, uh, so I'm going to play the dunce on the show today. We had an interesting conversation yesterday where Ward was talking about redefining directives. And I would like for Ward to just kind of elaborate what he actually meant when he was talking about that.
2: Well, you're also going to, while you were talking about that, talk about
3: storage of directives as well, right? Well, the the whole story kind of unfolds that way. Let's position How did I get... Into this mess where I was spelunking, and it was two things. One, I read an interesting post by our previous guest Ben Natal, in which he discovered that you know how you sometimes accidentally read, you know, you replay your control definition script twice, and it's no harm, no foul. But, uh you know, it's just stupid, but uh, the second time you run the control, you know, run the thing that defines a controller, it just redefines it and you're on with your game. But if you do that with a directive, it turns out, he discovered, that instead of redefining it, you end up with two directive definitions. He said, say what? And then he looked at it, he said, can this be real? And yes, it is, and it's intentional. So it turns out that for any given directive, like my foo directive, if I define one twice, I actually have two occasions for it. As many times as I add that directive or define that directive, I get a new one, and I can't remove the old one through any public API. And you're saying to yourself, why would that be true? Why would they do that? And as Ben goes on to explain... Well, not only uh,
2: that, but what does that mean If I have two foo directives, how does that affect my application? Well, if I have
3: two, it means that when it encounters the foo attribute, it's going to run that directive twice, back-to-back. Ba-boom. Now, you could say, why would that even be a good idea? Why would they do that? Because in the case I gave you, it was unintentional. I accidentally played the script, loaded the script twice. Why would they have that feature? And so he dug into it, and it turns out that uh, a number of the directives are implemented, the base directives are implemented twice, among them ng which I happened to look at. And it turns out that what that allows them to do is run what you probably aren't terribly aware of, but you know there's this thing called priority, In a directive, you can set the priority of the directive, which says when that directive's code will run relative to other directives. So the higher priority runs first, and then the next ones, and then the so on. And it turns out if you wanted to have conceptually a single directive that laid down there, like ng-include, and you wanted some activities to take place at the top and then some to take place at the bottom after other directives had run, would you do it? There's no way to do that within a single directive definition. You don't get to time it like that. But if you put in two directive definitions at different priority, one high priority, one low priority, then you could essentially bookend the process. So you could run a little ng-include uh, at the top, do all the other directives, and then wrap things up with a little ng-directive at the bottom, little ng-include. So that was the motivation to allow to have more than one. Make sense? That does make sense. That's way
2: interesting and something I did not know about.
3: No, I don't think anybody, I didn't know about it. I don't think it's ever been said anywhere, but Ben stumbled into it and realized uh, its value. But that also means that, I, you know, so then I'm sitting there and saying, but wait a minute. If I Usually when I'm testing things and I want to sort of uh, get some things out of the way, I want to fake them out. One of the popular ways to fake them out is to uh, redefine them away. Right. I mean, we do that if we don't want some service or we want to have a fake service or something like that. We just redefine it. And now in the injector pipeline, we have a fake service. I think we've all used that, But obviously, you can't do that with a directive, because if you tried to define your second um, sort of fake out fake directive, it would simply add to the list rather than replacing the existing one. So I said, oh, my God, how do you test this? The next clue was uh, the next thing that kind of got me was uh, another pro- long-standing problem. Now, it, it, sometimes, Do any of you ever define a directive with a controller? Sure, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, how do you test that controller? How do you get it to test it? You know, like if we do that with a regular controller, like a view, view model controller, it's pretty easy. We just like inject it, and yeah, I mean, we inject controller dollar controller service. And then we tee up all the fake stuff we want, all the fake dependencies we want, and we say, controller service, mint me up an instance of my controller X. And off we go, and now we can test it. But how do you test your controller uh, if it's defined inside a directive? You know, I'm
2: sitting around thinking about how to do that. And I wonder if you could... You could define it as a separate function, right? So that it's not actually inline in the object for the directive, but in a separate function. Then in your test, you could create a fake Controller around it and utilize just that same function and test it that way. That'd be a lot of band aidy. It feels really band aidy.
3: It does, doesn't it? And if it better. was somebody else's directive that wasn't yours and they wrote it in there, what would you do? So, my, my usual statement is hey, if somebody writes one like that, and it's private implementation and I don't test private implementation anyway. And I blah, blah, blah. You know, I'll just spin up the directive and I'm really interested in its public effects. But the fact of the matter is that that's a pretty significant piece of code that's sitting in there. And it can be hard if you spin up the directive that holds the controller to sort of create all of the conditions that might exercise that controller fully. And, and, and your goal in testing is to try and give it not only the garden variety cases, but the deviant cases that reveal potential problems or limitations in it. So I was like, Oh, there's got to be a better way. So the final clue that got me down this way, this path, was another problem, which is, I don't know about you guys, but I see a lot of people who write component directives, and inside that are other component directives in the templates, and then inside those, is they have templates that have others. So it's like directive inside a directive inside a directive inside a directive. And if I'm trying to test one of the outer ones, all of my inner directives are going to be processed, in all of the nested templates all the way down. And that just is going to make things really hard because it's going to fire off and do all kinds of stuff I'm not interested in. I want that stuff out of the way. I want them to be inert. Right? Does this sound familiar to you guys as a problem? Oh, yeah. So, like, how do you disable all those things? I mean, you know, uh, it's a shame that you have to even know they're there. The X, the Y, the Z, all the thing that could be in there. But if you even knew that they were there, how the heck would you disable them? You can't. Yeah, you know, we just learned that you can't just add a inert directive because all that does is add a directive. It doesn't replace the directive. So this all got me thinking. We got a you know a series of problems that mostly show up in testing. What do you do? So I spelunked it, and here's what I learned. When you define a directive, what actually is happening? happening under the hood is it is registering your directive definition with the dollar compile provider, uh, which keeps a registry of all of these things by the name of it. So when I add a foo directive um, under the hood, it goes and it gets during the config phase, it goes and gets the dollar compile provider and it goes and finds if there's already uh, you know if, if there's no directive it creates one in its registry and it puts my definition in there if it sees it a second time and says oh I have already got one of these So actually, the way it's stored is as an array of directive definitions. So it goes and looks up foo, sees the array, sees it has an array of foos, and it adds my second directive to it. And it keeps on doing that. So I get a nice big array of directive definitions for foo. And that's all sitting there in the dollar compile provider. Now, you won't actually use the dollar compile, uh, service when you're testing your directives later, right? You'll inject dollar compile and you get the, and you say, hey, you know, I want to mint this thing up. So you're used to the dollar compile as a service, but there's actually a dollar compile provider, of course, as well. So that's where it sits. But what happens next? Well, actually at the very moment that you first put that foo in there and it looks in its registry and says, do I have a foo? No, I don't. Well, not only does it create a registry entry, which is an array, and put your definition in it, but it also adds to a factory method. And the factory, at the same time that it adds, the factory creates is called, would be, well, if the directive's name is foo, it would be called Foo directive. So, if you were able to—and you're not—but if you were able to inspect what's coming in the—you know—in the dollar provide that's keeping track of all the things you've defined, you would find that uh, in there for every directive, ng include, ng this, ng that, and my foo would be a ng include directive service or funk factory, and, and and so forth for each of them. So there would be a foo um, directive. Well, we all know how to fake out and get services or factories, right? During a test, we simply ask the, you know, during our test setup, we say, hey, inject this thing for me. And so if I want, I can say, hey, would you give me the food directive? And it hands me back an instance, you know, of that factory. And it turns out that that instance is the array that was registered in the dollar compile provider. It is the array of directive definitions, because that's what a directive factory does. So now, suddenly, in my hands, in the test, I have the array of all those little definitions I had. So, like, you take ng-include, which had two of them, I've got an array of two definitions. And given those definitions, I now have in my hand something I can manipulate in the way I want to under test. So, for example, if I wanted to test that controller that was in my foo directive, well, I have the definition right there, and on that definition object is a controller property, and that controller property contains the very definition I had for constructing. It's a constructor for the controller that will be used by the directive, which means I now have in my hot little hand... Something that I can test independently. I can take it and I know what it gets injected into it, so I can completely fake that out. Create an instance of that controller and test it to my heart's content.
2: Can go you ahead. go through again how the exact code that you get in order to access this? Walk through the code one more time.
3: All right. This is so, kind of complex. Uh, I say inject. You know how I under test? I say inject uh, foo directive. And inside the inject callback, it says here. Here's your foo directive. Well, what is that thing? It's an array. Now, I only defined it once, so inside that array is a single object. I say, okay, so I take this thing that was injected and I, you know, I say, give me the zeroth element, and I have in my hands that very object that I defined as foo, and it tells me all the stuff that is in an object that would, you know, that I would have passed in to the direct, you know, when I defined it. So uh, my object, if I have controller, it has that. If it has the require property, it has that. If it has the scope property, it has that. It has the link function. It has the compile function. It has all that stuff sitting there as properties of that object, just as you would see it if you looked at the documentation. It's the object that would have been constructed, and it's ready for you to manipulate
2: now, when you say inject, are you talking about calling the module function, which is an injectable function, and passing right, it to the
3: angu- Right, Angular.mock.inject. The same one that under tests, I know we're not doing a test thing, but you know how when you do your test setup, you use the Angular mocks, uh, inject thing that fires up the injector and, you know, just right, sits here. Because okay. right? okay. under test, the injector is available to you for that particular test run, so it's fresh each time, right? right so i mean that gets into how do you do testing so i'm just going to assume that you know that that you know folks out there that that's part of the process and another time we can go through it so but not only that but i have because i have the array all right i asked for the food directive and i have the array of directive definitions that angular itself is going to use I am in complete position to manipulate that array. I can take everything out of it. I can put a new directive into it. I can take one of the directive definitions out, pull the link function out, wrap it in my own little wrapper. So it's a spy or whatever, put it back in. And now, you know, I do all this during setup and now my tests downstream, if they use a directive, they use my foo directive, it's all been wired up with my observers or my fakes or whatever. See how that works? Is that cool or what? That, that's way cool. And so this also led to, I don't know, and this will bring me to the conclusion of this long diatribe. It also explains to me why, um, when I saw somebody who, I saw somebody who had, um, one of those, uh, they were trying to test a directive and it had a template which had directives in it, which itself had templates with directives and all the way down. And they didn't want all those to fire. What they did during setup is they redefined all of the um, directive factory methods. You know, they just did factory, 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 and they redefined them. You know, let's say the A, the B, the C, the D. They just didn't want those to work at all, right? So they redefined those directive functions, the factory functions, to return an empty array. That means that when Angular comes along and starts evaluating those templates and it says, oh, I see an A directive, I better fire up its function and get its, its array of directive definitions. That array is empty and it does nothing. Suddenly, all the nested A, B, C, Ds on disease are inert. And that is how they faked out all the nested ones so they could concentrate on the behavior of the, direct, the top-level directive that they were trying to test. Boom pro tip. Boom! Now I should write this up, don't you think?
1: Mm-hmm. Something.
3: Yeah. I'll, I'll put it out there. Please. So I don't know whether this was just like too crazy to be doing on the air, but that is... that's the story.
1: And that's our show. Thank you, Ward.
3: <laughs> Next question. By the way, I can't write a
1: directive, but now I know how to kill one. And that's really no. all I wanted to do. <laughs> okay, Absolutely. so... The next question from Dunce rubelkey <laughs> Why would you ever use the compile function in a directive? I have yet to find a good reason to do that. Joe, Ward, what are your opinions on this? What's the verdict? Well, so this
2: is a, an interesting conversation, for sure. So I just, I just barely finished my directives course for Pluralsight, and I did a bunch of work, and when I was teaching the compile function i wanted to get a really good use case a real world use case for it so i looked around and i got some pretty advanced directives that some other friends had built and people that i knew had built went through them and noticed that hey you don't need the compile function for this directive so going back a step you know to need a little bit of explanation here obviously you've got a link function and a compile function and a directive and most of the time, we are we know about both of these if we've done directives a fair amount, but we mostly use the link function. And the link function has parameters, which are the element and the scope. And that's where we typically do our DOM manipulations is inside of that link function. Well, there's a, a fifth parameter on that function. Let's see, the parameters are scope, the element itself, then the attributes. I think I'm right in all these orders. And then the next one is if you require in any controllers from another directive, is the fourth attribute or fourth parameter to that link function. And the fifth one was just added in 1.2, and that is the transclude function. And that was the whole reason for, the big reason why people were using the compile function previous to 1.2 was to have access to the transclude function when doing transclusion sort of in a manual mode where you had the control of how and when elements got appended into the DOM, the transcluded elements. So now that the transclude function was in the link, this transclude parameter is in the link function, I'm going through and looking at all these example directives, and all of them could be rewritten to just use just a link function, not a compile function. And there, there were some pretty crazy ones. Like one of them was a really interesting caching directive where you put the directive on and it didn't actually append anything into the DOM until you activated it. It was basically kind of like an ng show. And so when it had some Boolean condition and when that was set to true, it would actually, at that point, go out, do all the compiling of the directive of the template and append the template in. And then if you set it back to false, it would hide it, but it wouldn't pull it out of the DOM the way that ng-if does. So that's the problem with ng-if is it actually pulls it back out of the DOM. And when you put it back into the DOM, it has to recompile the template. Well, with this directive, it's a way to delay compiling the template. So it was a performance optimization but once it was in, then it's just in, and then they just would, you know, set uh, display none to hide or show that DOM element. It's very interesting, and they were doing this in the compile function. Well, I looked through and said, and re- rewrote it with just the link function." And I even started going through all the directives in the Angular source, and the only one I didn't look—I haven't looked through every one of them, but I looked through quite a few—and the one that was using the the compile function still was the ng-repeat, and I was able to go through and successfully recreate the. 80% of the functionality of ng-repeat that most people use. I didn't recreate every piece of functionality, like some of the track-by like track by options and things like that. But I was able to recreate the functionality of ng-repeat again without using the compile function. And ng-repeat itself, the full source code is really quite long. It's hundreds of lines of code and it's really complex. So why they use the compile function could be a performance optimization. I'm not 100% positive why the compile function is used in the ng-repeat directive in the Angular 1.3 source code. But... I couldn't determine why it was necessary. So I've started telling people you really don't ever want to use the compile function until you reach some theoretical point where, oh, I'm doing something and I actually, I've discovered that the link function really doesn't do this. But by default, you should just be trying to do everything in the link function. And my guess is that. For 99.99% of all directives that will ever need to be built, the link function would be fine, and the compile function would be unnecessary. And I certainly don't know of a business use case where the compile function is necessary. Now, Ward was talking about a scenario where he believes that the compile function was necessary.
3: Yeah, well, at least I want to throw it at you, and then you can report back. I'll give you a challenge. And this is totally made up. Crap. Because I was using it at one point, and then I, I looked at my code, and I saw that it was gone. But I was having – what uh, the problem was that I needed to manipulate the template before – and I'm talking about the, the directives template, not the content, the transcluded content, this content that will be poured into it from the page that uses the directive from the HTML that uses it right now. I'm talking about the template that the directive itself has. Mm -hmm. And I needed to manipulate that for some reason and get it all squared away. And, And then the link, that would be the template that the link function would ultimately use. And I don't think you can do that inside the link function itself. So, so let me give you a contrived case. Based on your culture and your authorization, I have 10 possible templates that this directive could use. And based on your culture and your authorization, I want it to use one of those 10 uh, before it continues on its merry way. Now, there's no way to put a switch statement in the temp, you know, to pick among ten at the high level. So, you, your mission, Joe, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> is to come up with a way to do that. Like, we want a pink one for Lucas and a blue one for Charles, you know, something like that. I think it's um, the other way around. Always oh, it the other yep. <laughs> you, you don't want to be Mr. Pink? Remember that movie, Reservoir Dogs? Great movie. I'm, um,
0: I'm Pinky. He's the brain. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there we anyway, go. There's the challenge for you, Joe. I don't expect you to, unless you can just solve it right here on the air, i love your report back, but I think that when you need to do template manipulation or template choice somewhere in the logic, I don't know how you would do that as late as the link function. But that's so contrived Mm -hmm. that I think it's kind of silly. Anyway, that's my my challenge. I basically agree with you. And since uh, looking forward, it looks like the whole compile idea disappears. I think we're best without
2: it. Yeah, it does seem to be, again, such an advanced case. Like, I think certainly the advice of forget the compile function exists is good advice because the vast majority of people that do Angular are just not going to encounter a situation where the compile function is necessary. Yeah, I
3: think that's what we should tell people. to Just ignore it.
2: Yeah, but your scenario is very intriguing. And so I'm just trying to look through and see if I can see any... any way to do that and just the link, I'm, I'm going to play around with that and see if I can uh, solve your problem and report back on a future episode.
3: Cause I think I did. I think that was, so uh, I did, I had to do template manipulation before um, I had a template that the link could use. And I think that was my use case. Although it seems that it disappeared from my code and good riddance, I say. Right. So Lucas, what other stump the chump do you have for us?
1: I got one more question. And uh, this is something I've actually heard uh, Joe say, and then uh, Ben said it on the previous episode, or the two previous episodes, uh, whenever he was here, is to really be careful about using isolated scope, that it's not kind of the end-all, be-all. It's not a broad brush that you use to paint over your directives. And so I want to get your opinion on when you should really use isolated scope and what that is for. Go ahead, Ward. Well- well, off.
3: well, I I'll, I, kind of will repeat what I read in, in Ben's posts, and we'll put the link in the show notes. First of all, the, the poten- there's a potential problem if you just throw isolate scopes at everything, which is that if you use an isolate, there can only be one isolate scope on an individual HTML element. And so if you wrote one for several attributes and each of them had an isolate scope, you couldn't put those attribute directives on the same HTML element. And that's kind of nasty. So that's why you don't want to do it unless you have to.
2: Right. And that now applies to um, inherited now as well in either a later version of 1.3 or 1.4. You can't have any more than one scope specification on one of your directives. If you have any more than one, you get an error. Yeah.
3: And I imagine it's either all shared. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you have the multiple definitions that I was talking about earlier, which almost nobody will have, that Mm -hmm. would be a problem too if they both tried to have an isolate. Right. And it turns out that it seems to be most valuable, you know, when you're creating a component, something that would be an element tag. So the heuristic I saw in one of the comments to Ben's post that I think is just generally good advice, is use an isolate scope when you're doing an element directive, and don't use an isolate scope when you're doing an attribute directive. You know, in other words, if you're redefining the input tag, yeah. But if you're just adding something, you know, a, 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 a modifying attribute to something like ng-show or ng-hide, then no, don't do it. And That, that so kind of
2: advice should hold you. I will echo that, but also point out the fact that the vast majority of directives that people are going to write are going to be component directives. We you, you use the phrase element directives. So this is something that actually will exist in Angular 2.0. And that is that there are three types of things. What we call directives in Angular 1 have been split out into three different things. There's a new thing called a component. okay? And this is what we think of as element directives, or at least a well-crafted element directive, which is I have some piece of reusable functionality and display, and I want to be able to write in an element somewhere in the HTML and have it just inject in all that display and all that functionality in that spot. So a great example of that would be like... A user display that will display the name of the user and their access rights and some other business specific information about that specific user. So wherever I want, say it's like, say it was user panel, I can write in an element that's user panel, give it a, an attribute that points at the data it's supposed to display, and then I just stick it in my HTML and there it goes. And that by far is the vast majority of directives that people will write in Angular 1, and correspondingly in Angular 2, that's called a component, and that's the vast majority of things that people will write, is that. Then there's another type of directive, which is called, the Angular team coined this phrase, is called a decorator directive. And that would be things like ng-click, ng-show, ng-hide, where you're taking an existing element and adding some new piece of functionality to it either to yeah, modify behavioral, the a behavioral a yeah. behavioral directive of some sort yes. changing the behavior of the interaction or the behavior of the the widget right and this would not have typically would not have any display it would be really odd for it to have some display i suppose there's a theoretical business case where it would need some display but these would not have a template they're just again event handlers are great for example um the html5 video element there's not built-in ng Angular directives for the different events that the HTML5 video element can raise. So you'd have to write your own directives if you want to be able to listen to them and take action on them. So those are decorator directives, and those are very much less common for a typical Angular project to require, because usually the built-in ones do it well enough, or the additional functionality is something that already belongs to an existing component directive anyway, so you kind of piece the two together. Mm -hmm. right? You might write your own HTML5 video component directive. And inside of that, you would also listen to the events and raise them, but handle them within, or listen to the events, but handle them within your the directive. So there's no reason to create a new, you know, like ng-html5-pause directive. You would just do the pause listener inside of that, your custom HTML5 video directive. Mm -hmm. So most people don't write these decorator directives, they do, and they're less common, but most people just don't write them. Then we have a third kind of directive, which the Angular team calls a template directive. And I dislike that name because it's like some other things that the Angular team has done. That's like, that's a word that's overused. Tem- we use templates in, you know, ng include and we use them in directives themselves. So a template directive to me seems odd. I call it a structural directive. But nonetheless, whatever you call it, this is the type of directive that's going to make some major DOM manipulation and change how the DOM works and looks. So a great example of that, of course, is the ng-repeat, right? I've got one node, and this directive is going to turn that same node into multiple nodes, or ng-if, which actually pulls an entire branch of the DOM out of the DOM and takes it away when this condition is false and then sticks it back in when the condition is true. So it's not just a matter of a little bit of functionality. This is like we're making a major structural change to the DOM. And these ones are by far the least common. Almost nobody writes structural directives or template directives. Excuse me, I'll, I'll, I'll use the Angular team's terminology here. Almost nobody writes template directives because the use case for them is so rare. And ngRepeat already does everything for us. So if it's that kind of a thing, usually ngRepeat handles it for us. and We don't need to write our own. I guess
3: animations would kind of fit in that category, right? Anything that does sort of direct DOM manipulation. Mm-hmm. Would you? Yeah, put in they that could category? fit into that.
2: Yeah, maybe. It kind of depends. It's not a clear line. Yeah. You know? It's really not a clear line. So in all those three cases, these are now three separate things in Angular 2. In Angular 2, the component is a building block of what we do. And I haven't even seen examples of the other two types of things and whether you can build them your own. I assume you can. But in Angular 2, now the component is the base thing. No longer is controller the base object that you're going to work with. Now component is. So it's worth mentioning that, yes, you want to... In Angular 1, you want to avoid isolate scopes uh, other than when you need them on component directives. But the vast majority of directives that people will write are going to be component directives. And to that matter... In Angular 2, this component object will have an isolated scope on it. but It comes with it by default. It has an isolated scope.
3: And that makes sense. And that's, that's kind of pushing people just to drive it home. It's like if you were creating your own widgets that were sort of semantic, like my menu. You, know, when you would like to have an HTML tag called my menu and my mm-hmm. header and my footer. And if you wanted your HTML to look like that, that would be the kind of component directive that you're describing, and it would be an element tag. Right. All right so yeah that's kind of where they're leaning in terms of their uh, notion of design whereas what when we do the, the the standard things today in one we tend to do Sort of ng includes that, which are an attribute, which says go get, uh, this view and then the view model and it wipe, you know, and then it wipes itself out. So that, that's different. And they're trying to say, no, that style isn't the style of the future. The style of the future is to have semantic tags to create widgets that represent concepts in your application's views. Is that, is that
2: the way you read it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
3: And so, yeah, they would need their own scope. Whereas the other things, which are just sort of like adjectives, if you will, in your structure are just, um, they don't need their own scope. They need to talk. They need to modify behavior.
2: Right. That makes good sense. Yeah. So I think that Ben's advice, don't blindly isolate all the things, is good advice, other than the fact that your default should be to choose an isolate scope because your default is going to be that element type directive, that component type directive, right?
3: Yeah. Well, he was underlining the word blindly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. I guess, again, it boils down to, if you're creating a component, you're going to have an isolate. If you're not, you're probably not. Right.
1: Pro tip. Pro tip. <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, just to plug this all, just to plug my uh, own course here, all of this is covered, other than what Ward talked about with um, juking around with the innards of directives, all of this is covered in my directives course. So if you're bored and want to learn more and solidify this and see concrete examples, there's a bunch of concrete examples of all these things in my directives course.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're underselling it. (laughs) Let me me plug Joe's course. If you want to learn and you want to learn from good content, go check out Joe's course. He's amazing. I heart him. He's great. There. I'll second that. Thank you, Lucas. And Ward. This has actually been a really fun episode
2: for me because, like, I was just head downs immersed in all this sort of stuff writing this course so this is really fun to talk about this stuff well you are certainly the expert sir my head well i'm just impressed with ward and uh how you dug into that well like digging through it that's pretty pretty funny (laughs)
3: Well, I had, you know, again, uh, uh, my angle is quite different. I couldn't write a directive to save my life, but I do want to kill them under test because I've been focusing on testing and I'm doing a plural side course on testing techniques for Angular that kind of takes off where, you know, you sort of laid down the, the basics for people about how to do it. And so I get to assume the kinds of things that you taught them and then I take them on a trip of uh, how to handle, you know, what happens in your application. So that's so that's awesome. where that came
2: up. That's where. That and that's came such up. a course that needs to, you know, that's knowledge that really needs to be out there. There's just not enough of that.
1: Love Fest. Mm-hmm. And hug.
0: And hug. Awesome. Well, are we about at a place where we should get to picks?
2: I think so. This okay. has been a really cool episode. Like I've really enjoyed this one. Way fun. I hope that the audience enjoyed this as much as I did, or we don't have too many people going, oh, quit talking about things that I don't care about.
3: Well, as they say, you know, if the audience enjoyed it half as much as we did, then we enjoyed it twice as much as they did.
1: Very true. (laughs) I don't understand what you just said. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Math is hard. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's do picks.
2: Joe, do you have a pick and a tip for us? I'm going to pick a series of books. By Glenn Cook, who is used to be my favorite author until Brandon Sanderson come. I'm, and if Glenn, on the off chance, you hear this podcast, I'm really sorry. I still love you. Uh, <laughs> but he has a series of books called The Instrumentalities of the Night, which I absolutely love. And the latest book came out recently, a few months ago. It's uh, like a four book series now, I believe. Super enjoyable. I've vastly enjoyed it. I'm reading through it a third time to kind of just because I like the series of books so much. So that's going to be my pick is The Instrumentalities of the Night by Glenn Cook. And for a tip, my tip's going to be watch Ward's Course when it comes out. Oh. Ooh, I see what everybody you're doing needs there. to test. Everybody needs to test. There's not enough testing in the world. Well, I my my goal will be to make it feel
3: like not so daunting. I mean, it's just most people just say, Oh, it's going to be too hard and all that stuff. And, or it's going to be too brittle. And so my goal is to try and say, Hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. It could be fun. At least it'll be funny.
0: All okay. right. Ward, what are your picks?
3: My pick is a video that I watched last night when, I guess the 10th, just a couple of days ago, there was a show down at Google where they showed off what they're calling alpha in uh, Angular 2.0, and they showed it to-do app and stuff like that. And I have to say, it was both exciting and confounding, and I felt like... Well, like, it's a little bit like that. They're calling it NG2, right? So it's a little bit like this. Hey, Lucas, you play poker, right? You know, you're used to playing poker. I've got poker version 2.0, and it is so much faster and cleaner and less complicated. You want to play? And Lucas, you say? Yes. All right. Well, see, it's just like one. We deal out five cards each, right? And you ask me, now that we've got our cards in our hand, go ahead and ask me what, you know, if I have a particular card, like six of diamonds or something like that. Go ahead, ask me.
1: Do you have a six of diamonds? I feel like this is a trap.
3: Go fish. Ah! Isn't that great? Isn't this this poker 2.0 great? I mean, it's faster. It's not as complex. We'll be able to run it on mobile. It's great. And it's just like just like poker 1.0 cuz you got cards and suits and numbers it's just the same and i'm sitting there i'm saying wow man this is not you could call it angular and i get it but it just it doesn't feel like angular 2.0 it feels like something else it feels like go fish to me anyway I think it may be great. It, you know, Poker 2.0 may be better than Poker 1.0, but it's um, really interesting to see where that goes. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it at ng But if you want to get a, um, a sort of insight about where they are now and what it could be
1: like, go check out that video. All right. Lucas, picking a tip. Yes, yeah, so my pick is the book Hooked. How to build habit forming products. I read that last week. It is chock full of just excellent things that you can do to build a product that is habit forming, as well as Mira AL, if I said that correct, is actually introduced what he calls the hooked framework. So you can actually summarize the book in, you know, kind of this very easy to digest kind of framework for building products that you know people are going to to get hooked and enjoy using. And then uh my tip is I've been really digging into the Ionic framework. I gave a presentation on it uh, last week in San Francisco at a hackathon. And if you want to be a, an Ionic expert and you know AngularJS, you're pretty much there. And so just building up you know mobile hybrid apps is really, really easy. If you go to my blog, onehungrymind.com, I kind of put out some pro tips as well as a quick screencast to show just how easy that is because it's awesome and I'm lazy. Sweet.
0: All right. For a pick and a tip, I've been pretty buried with JS Remote Conf this week. I did finish a book called American Sniper, and it's the book that the movie's based on, if you've seen the movie. It was just really interesting to kind of get an eye into the war on terror, the war in Iraq. There's a lot of political stuff around it, obviously, but he more or less just explains going in and doing his job. And he does have some opinions on some of the stuff that went down. But anyway, it was really interesting to kind of get an inside look at how things worked and and how they went. I don't know that I have a tip this week, but yeah, I'm really excited to see that video that uh, Ward talked about. So go check that out. And I don't think we have any announcements. So we'll go ahead and we do, wrap up. We do have an actually? Joe
3: has an announcement.
0: We have announcements.
3: Joe,
2: go for we do. it. No NGConf announcements this week. Of course, by the time this gets released, we'll be. Darn tootin' close to ngConf anyway. But I do have an announcement that if you wanted to go to ngConf and didn't get to go to ngConf, there is a solution for you and not just getting to watch it online, because if you do, if you didn't get the opportunity to go to ngConf, you definitely want to watch it online and watch the live stream. But we are announcing a new Angular conference that will be held in Vegas in March. So if you happen to like Angular Check. and like Vegas, me. <laughs> or <Four> awesome parties, <laughs> then. And if you don't uh, want Lucas anywhere near you, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ng
0: Dash Party.
2: If you if you like resorts, um, let me say that because it's actually the venue it's being held at is like feels like a spa resort, not a casino hotel because it's not a casino hotel. It's this really awesome spa resort with pools and a private beach, and it's on the same lake that Celine Dion has her house on. Ng Vegas is going to be officially announced next Monday, just a couple of days before this comes out. And tickets will be on sale fairly soon. And it'll be several days of watching the awesome people of the community. Jeff Cross from the Angular team will be there speaking, watching them and learning about Angular. So if you want more Angular goodness and more Angular conference goodness and didn't get to go to ng-conf and still want to go to an Angular conference, here's your solution. And Lucas will be there. Oh, he will our, be there. Oh, our featured speaker, one of our featured speakers,
1: Lucas, will be there. He's talking about something awesome. Literally, that's I'm creating a library called Something Awesome. But it <laughs> might be called NG Something Awesome. Trademark. Yep. Dot com. Just copyrighted it. And that's it. That's it. Did you say when the conference was?
2: Yes, it will be May 6th through 8th. Okay. And the uh website is ngvegas.org or .com either one will work. Yay, more NG conferences. Boom. And it, let me be clear this is not a specifically NG Conf conference but it is loosely affiliated with.
0: All right. Well, uh thanks for announcing that Joe. Hopefully uh you can get it all filled up. If it's anything like NG Conf it'll probably fill up pretty
2: fast, so. Yeah, we're expecting to have tickets readily sold out within seconds again just because of the high demand. This is a little bit of insider information, but 13,000 people tried to get tickets to NG Conf over the two oh. seconds that tickets were for sale. Holy cow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Insane. It's insane. And that, of course, doesn't count all the people that didn't think they needed to be there right at noon. Didn't realize they had to be there right at noon to buy
1: tickets. So Next time, sell 13,000 tickets. We'll all be millionaires. And then we'll just work out the details later. <laughs> right. Just run for it. Just run for it! Like (laughs) there we go. I mean, we can be like the Bernie Madoff of like conferences.
2: (laughs) Oh my god! Yes. So yeah, be sure to get your uh, boss's approval and be ready to buy tickets when they go on sale. We'll have two rounds of ticket sales: an early bird ticket sale, and then a regular ticket sale later on, a couple weeks later. So be ready for that.
3: I'm sure it will be a a big one. And if you did run away with the money, you could go to someplace exotic. If I did a like Vegas. well, or, no, yeah, you, you would say you're going to make it, but you're going to someplace like really Shangri-La. Me, if I tried to run a conference, I'd take all the money and I'd be able to make it to San Jose. <laughs> all
0: awesome. right. Well, I think that's all we got, so we'll wrap up, and we'll catch everyone next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com and sign up today.